all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Ew. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. Email us All Bad Things Pod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group, our Discord, and our subreddit. Do all of those things in that order. <laughs> Happy sixth anniversary to us. This episode is coming out on this our sixth pod anniversary. On Monday. July 17th. Yeah, that's right. So Six we started years. July 17th, 2017. Wow. It is wild, isn't it? That's a long time ago. <laughs> it is. It is. Indeed. Many things are different now. <laughs> yes. Yes, many things are. So, but, uh, yeah, six years. If you would have asked me six years ago. Right. <laughs> I would have said no. There's no way we'll still be doing this in six years. This is episode 315. And we have not missed a Monday. We have not. Somehow. We haven't. Somehow. Some whom. <laughs> so okay. cheers to us. Yes, cheers. Very exciting. Cheers with a <laughs> Miller water. Light and a water. Yeah. <laughs> you did just get out of bed. To be I did. I just yes. got home from work. Yes. We're doing another late night recording. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Your... Your evening, my night. <laughs> yes, yes. So I was thinking that in honor of our, uh, well, I'm going to give you some hints as to the topic. Of course, the audience knows already. Um, but to celebrate our podiversary, you know, it is in July, so I thought it should be something that's a little uh, all-American, you, you could say. Okay. And that also has something of a connection to someone very reviled that we've spoken at length about. Okay. So, all American, but also related to one of the worst people. Is it it Kid Rock? (laughs) No. (laughs) Kid Rock would qualify as an all bad thing. He would. He we'll would. get maybe no. We won't get to that one. I I do not want to do research on Kid <laughs> no, Rock. No, no. But think about it. Who have I railed against the worst in this pod? Probably. Uh, in this pod, um, I don't know. There've been quite a, the most. Uh, well, recently it was Margaret Thatcher, but I. Uh uh-huh. da- You're you're uh, warm. Okay, so that's the you're warm. Uh, that's the connection. Well, no. No. You're, but you're very, very warm. British, so you hate somebody British. No, no, no. Oh. No. Who was Margaret Thatcher's contemporary across the pond? Uh, who was talking about? Who's the United Mar- States Margaret Thatcher? Oh, her, oh! I thought you meant like I thought you meant in the UK as well, like no, one of no, her no, contemporaries. No. So Reagan again? Okay. So it's about think about Reagan and the hint. All American. Oh, this is about Newt Rockney, isn't it? <laughs> there <Yes>. you go. <laughs> you got it. I thought it was going to be a fun episode when we talked about when Reagan almost got assassinated. Sorry. Way, no to, go, such way luck. to go. Uh, with the Mark Wayne Mullen, whatever the fuck that guy's name was. Um, Three named guy. 
David Mark Chapman. No, he Mark David Chapman. Mark David Chapman. Yes. Yeah. Way to go, buddy. Take some fucking, <laughs> you know, aiming lessons next time. Like, you were so close, but yet you failed so hard. <laughs> this is the story, and I will explain this in a second, of the death of Knut Rockning. I'll explain why I'm pronouncing his name that way. On March 31st, 1931, a transcontinental and western air Fokker F-10, and I said that right, yeah. as in meet the Fockers, mm-hmm. <laughs> crashed near a bizarre township, Kansas, killing all pe- eight people on board, including 43-year-old Notre Dame football coach, Knute Rockney, one of the most legendary coaches in college football history. Uh, is his actual name pronounced Knute? I believe so. We're going to talk about it in just one oh, second. Okay. So, Primary sources are the Chicago Sun-Times, ESPN, Forbes, The Gipper's Ghost, (laughs) History.com, History and More on YouTube, Richard Harris, the University of Notre Dame, and Wikipedia. So let's talk about, as you said, the name that probably most people would recognize is Newt Rockne, right? Mm -hmm. K-N-U-T-E-R-O-C-K-N-E. Yes. Newt Rockne. Well, I thought about it because... Uh, I've pronounced his name my whole life as Newt, too, right? Newt sure. Rockney. Uh, just like basically everybody else. But I did, you know, live in Minnesota a little bit when I was a kid. Hmm. And I remembered that I had a friend. About the there you go. There's yes. a name, Knudsen. Yeah. A very common Scandinavian last name. There was a player, I believe he also played for the Minnesota Wild. For a stretch, his name is Espen Knutson. Knutson, which is K. But he was a but he was a Swede. Okay. I um, I I went to school with a girl named Sarah Knoll, and it was K N O L L, but it was pronounced Knoll. Sure. Knutson, all that. Like I was like, I wonder if it's technically pronounced Knut Rockney and not Newt Rockney. So, um, the man was actually born in Norway. Born in yeah, Norway, makes sense. right? Sure. Uh, so as I was doing research, I found a source, it was on the Gipper's Ghost, that said, uh, Canute was how Rockney himself pronounced his name. The primary source for this, unfortunately, was Ronald Reagan. So, we'll get to this later. (laughs) That's always unfortunate when Ronald Reagan is a primary source. Yes. We'll discuss later why Ronald Reagan has anything to do with Canute Rockney, but he, according to Ronald Reagan, his widow, Knut Rockney's widow, specifically told him, hey, his name is pronounced Knut, not Newt. And apparently that's how they pronounced it in the film as oh, a result. Oh, okay. So it is not Newt Rockney. It is Knut Rockney. I see. I, and I know it's going to sound a little weird, but I, I'm i going to go out on a limb and say that that's a, probably the correct, correct you, uh, pronunciation. If you are a hockey fan... Hearing weird names isn't all right. that strange at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's not weird in itself. It's probably just weird hearing it after hearing Newt Rockney, Newt, Newt Rockney. Mm-hmm. It's weird to hear Knut Rockney. But that is likely. Yeah, that's why I asked. I was like. Yeah, that is likely okay. the correct pronunciation of his name. So. All right. So Knut Rockney was born Knut Larsen Rockney. <laughs> so he could not have been more Scandinavian. Um, although... Some sources say that he was born Knut Kenneth Rockney, but frankly, K 
Kenneth doesn't sound terribly Scandinavian, and his father's name was Lars, so Larson makes more sense as a middle name at any rate. He was born on March 4th, 1888 in Vos, Norway, which is V-O-S-S. Okay. Uh, So Vos is a municipality, kind of like in southwesternish Norway, and contrary to what you may think, or what I definitely thought, Voss water does not come from Voss, Norway. It's bottled in Vatnestrom, which is many miles away from Voss. I see. Uh, but a fun fact about Voss, its coat of arms is a red background with a white traditional fiddle outline on it. Duh. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I found that very charming. So, given that Canute was born so long ago in another country, there's really not a whole lot of time information on his early life um and there was a few things that were not contradicted but just different about from depending on the source that you look at about his life in general you know um it it does appear that he emigrated with his parents to chicago from vos when he was five years old and he was just a little norwegian boy who didn't speak english at the time growing up in chicago um, now, he would go on to have a very distinct Midwest voice, and we'll, uh, we'll hear some of that later. So he grew up in Logan Square, Chicago, and probably also not very surprising, grew up playing football, which he played at Northwest Division High School along with running track. Which was also a, still a very new sport. We're going to talk about that. Boy, are we going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And he also played with a local football team called the Logan Square Tigers. Yes. So, we're let's talk about that, right? Because really, Knut Rockney is one of the reasons the game changed. Correct. Yes. So, um, I'm refraining as much as possible from going into the absolute depths of deep diving we have actually done that in one episode which episode the 1900 big game disaster okay was about college football that's right and in in that episode i kind of dove into the history of actual football Mm -hmm. american football right gridiron Mm -hmm. i think you even said called it gridiron back then that was that that was like the nickname for it Mm -hmm. because soccer in the united states even at this time in the early 1900s was still called football. football Yep. So, mm-hmm. it switched to soccer in like the 50s and 60s, something like that, what, but whatever. Yeah, so... But yeah, football for the longest time, even here, meant soccer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, like, when Knut Rockne was growing up, that was, like, the big game era is the era of mm-hmm. football that we're in. Um, so yeah, just a quick review, the origins of the rules of gridiron football came about from both rugby and association football Mm -hmm. or soccer. Rugby has scrummages or scrums, so that's how play restarts on the field, and you can see how this eventually morphed into scrimmage, Mm -hmm. as in the line of scrimmage. Um, variations on the precursors to gridiron were played in villages in Europe as mob football, And there's also evidence of indigenous peoples of the Americas playing some version of football, too. So, Um, regardless of its sort of informal origins, gridiron football has a long lineage of organization that comes almost entirely out of the university system of the United States. Yeah, it was an amateur sport for the longest time. Yep. Specifically in Ivy League schools Mm -hmm. like Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. 
By the 1870s, the game was starting to morph a bit, and eventually Walter Camp, a Yale student and later medical student, is largely acknowledged as the father of American football. He was the driving force that created the Intercollegiate Football Association in the States, which resulted in the creation of downs, the team size, and the quarterback's position behind the line, also the scoring method. Hmm. So by the time Little Knut is playing ball in the early 1900s, gridiron has grown into its own proper sport or its own violent sport. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. His own People were dying. Yes. His a, own a lot. hometown paper, the Chicago Tribune, reported 18 football-related fatalities in 1904. So that's when he Alone. would have been 16, exactly. Yeah. And most of those deaths were amongst prep school kids or kids around his own age. And this caused a major controversy about the safety of the game, as you <laughs> yeah, can imagine. As it, as it should. Yes. Uh, that sport they're playing, like another kid died. Yes. We should like maybe regularly. look into that. <laughs> uh-huh. No, um, no, it'll be fine. Right. So much so that schools like Northwestern University, itself in Evanston, a northern suburb of Chicago, dropped the sport from its offerings altogether. Uh, Gridiron had a major supporter in then-president Theodore Roosevelt, Mm -hmm. who prodded rulemakers into several big changes to the game in an attempt to make it survivable, both physically and as a sport. These changes included the creation... Can I I, I say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely the the forward pass. Yes, Um, uh, legalized the forward pass. It was... Not it, it was, was illegal. invented, but it was illegal, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, at, at one at one point in time, cats and kittens, yeah, throwing the football <laughs> was illegal, yes. or at least throwing it forward. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, that's true. You probably could throw it behind you because we are talking about a mix of rugby and right. association mm-hmm. football. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, imagine taking that out of the game like today. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, so the forward pass and I think the formation of. Um, more rules something like that yeah they, they created the neutral zone that's what oh that's that what it was, was the line of well the line of scrimmage yeah the, yes. the, the creation of the touchback okay um yeah. and the, the distance between downs used to be five yards that's true it did now yep. it's 10 uh-huh. because of the forward pass yes uh-huh yeah it took a long time for the forward pass to catch on and even walter camp bemoaned that the play the forward pass, he was afraid it was going to kill the sport. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it did it not. made it thrive. <laughs> yes, it, it very much did. Guess what every like uh, red-blooded American kid who has a good arm is being judged on? Their that, forward pass. That arm. Mm-hmm. Can he throw it 60 yards? <laughs> so after he left high school, um, some sources say he never graduated, yeah. unable to afford college, Knut took a job as a mail dispatcher in the post office in Chicago, where he saved up to further his education. While he was working for the post office, a boarding school for indigenous Americans called the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, was making some leaps forward for gridiron with its football team, which featured Sac and Fox Nation citizen Watho Hook, or, or Bright Path, more popularly known as... Jim Thorpe. You got it. Yeah. All-American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but truly American as an indigenous. Yeah. Although I believe, I believe his father was Irish, but anyway. Yeah. Less than a year older than Knut, 
Thorpe was among the Carlisle players who completed a forward pass in a decisive victory against the University of Pennsylvania in front of 20,000 people in Philadelphia, further showcasing the newly popular play. Yeah, uh, by this time, Jim Thorpe had already been in the Olympics, I believe. And he he became a big name because he won either either the decathlon or the heptathlon. Mm. One of the thons. One of the thons. He won a thon. <laughs> he, he won a thon. I believe it, I believe it was the, the decathlon is what he won, which pretty much makes you the world's best athlete because mm-hmm. that's 10 events. The all around, yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure he was already famous before he... St- I think that's the reason 20,000 people are there. Right. To see, the, see, to see him. him. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, he'd be one of the first people to be like, hey, like, we can work with this. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, though still allowed, the rules of football still highly discouraged the forward pass, and it was made deliberately difficult with the absence of any pass interference rules. <laughs> and early on, if it was uh, if the pass was incomplete, it was a turnover. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which I think they should bring back that rule. It'd be <laughs> right. way more fun. It'd be a lot more. Quarterbacks are pretty accurate these days. <laughs> right. It'd be it'd be uh-huh. it'd be awesome to see like. Something is on the line every time they throw the ball. Right, right. Absolutely. But the game continued to be a dangerous one, with deaths from it rising to 31 between September 1908 and the summer of 1909. So Mm -hmm. basically, like, nine months, there was 31 deaths. Yeah. Which is, that's insane. Playing Playing a game. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I mean, like, one or two. Right. Accidental. Whatever, you know, you could... Yeah, you gotta you gotta make an omelet somehow. Right. But uh Especially but, considering like the number of people playing the game is nowhere near what it is today. No, not even close. <laughs> so. That's true too. I didn't think of it that way, mm-hmm. but yeah. This and, is probably like one out of every like fifty players. And this is probably not even counting like people who would die later of related. Who died like yet. yeah, who died like the next year because of C T E or something. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, his head was never right after playing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah, he died when he was twenty. But yeah. yeah, so that's 31 in just that year, and we are already know from a previous year there was 19. So just based on those two years, There's that's over 50. 50. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. And I'm going to guess there were a few in between <coughs> and before that. Yes, absolutely. So it would remain dangerous until Knut made the pivotal decision in his life and in the life of football to attend the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. That's right. In 1910, at the age of 22. <laughs> Cheers to you, Canute. As he would later write, quote, I went to South Bend with a suitcase and $1,000. That's In 1910, that's the equivalent of over $30,000. <laughs> yeah, did pretty well at the job there, yes. right, apparently. Feeling the strangeness of being a lone Norse Protestant invading a Catholic stronghold. Unquote. He was uh, well, he, Lutheran he would, yeah, at the time. He would not be the only Norse, but, any, but anyway. So he was not the biggest guy. He was 5'8 and 160 pounds in his playing days. But his skills as a football player came to the fore in his years as Notre Dame, culminating in his award of All-American in 1913. Basically like an honor or an award for being uh, an outstanding amateur mm-hmm. in the sport. That same year, on November 1st, 1913, he helped lead the Notre Dame football team in one of the most pivotal games in gridiron history. 
though not specifically stated anywhere, um, I guess Knut played receiver or more likely given the state of the game at the time, running back. He probably played a little bit of everything, just like or most fullback or did. something, yeah. At any rate, Gus Duray, the fighting Irish quarterback, made extensive use of the forward pass uh, to an extent not really previously seen in the game. One such pass was a 40-yard touchdown pass wow. to Knut. Yeah, back then that would have been like, holy shit, like, who did you see that? caught it while running. Yeah. Which is another yeah, like, big thing, would be right? like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing what the game of football was eventually going to become. That's still a big play. It is a big play. It I mean, think of how play. big that was, like, mm-hmm. the first couple times you saw it. And they were not playing with modern-day footballs, no, either. These, these things are were, no. rounder mm-hmm. and leather and, yes. like, clunky. Literal, like, literal laces Stitching. off, like, somebody's yes. shoe. Like, <laughs> right. everybody was like, hey, we need to lace the football. <laughs> right. Like, who's got a spare lace? Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're wearing, like... Leatherhead yes. stuff, like helmets at the time. Barely wearing pads. Yes. Um, it's a brutal, they're, brutal they're sport. Bra- they're time. basically wearing, like, sweaters yeah. with, like, knickers with yeah. socks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Throwing one of those footballs 40 yards. Yes. Well, it was a 40-yard touchdown while he was running, so. Uh-huh. He probably threw it, like, 25, 30 yards, but still. That's, right. That's impressive with that ball. Yes. Yes. DeRay completed... 14 of 17 passes for 243 yards. That's amazingly efficient yep. for the time. Soundly defeating Army, one of their rivals, 35-13. Rockney would later write, quote, Everybody seemed astonished. Astonished there had been no hurdling, no tackling, no plunging, no crushing of fiber and sinew. Just a long-distance touchdown by rapid transit, end quote. It's important to note, of course... Yes, the, at, the, at the, that time, a pass didn't look like the darts modern QBs throw. They also, QBs at the time who did complete forward passes, they would like jump and kind of hurl sure. it. They yeah. would toss it underhand. They would flip the ball end all, over end. All like, still legal, by the way. Yeah, it's just... It has to, just has to cross the line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. It may not have been pretty, but it was the precursor of what football would become. And the ball would also become sleeker over time through redesign, and that's why they can throw those spirals today, you know. The summer after he graduated with a degree in chemistry and pharmacology, Knut worked at Cedar Point, a famous and still existing amusement park in Sandusky, Ohio, uh, known in more contemporary times as a park with some of the best roller coasters in the country. And it was there he met Ohio-born Bonnie Skiles. They would marry the next year with Gus DeRay serving as Knut's best man. They were friends for a long time. So despite being Lutheran and not converting until years later, they were married in a Catholic ceremony like any good Notre Dame man. Sure. So speaking of which, even after graduation, Knut stayed at Notre Dame, where he became a lab assistant to Julius Arthur Newland, whose research on acetylene and its use in synthetic rubber would eventually lead to the invention of neoprene. He also served as the assistant coach to Jess Harper for the Irish. He was considered like kind of a hard ass on the field, but a lot more laid back and friendly off field, which really endeared him to his players. In 1914, Knut jumped at the chance to get back into the gridiron as a player, playing for the Akron Indians in the Ohio League an informal association of football clubs in the early 20th century in and around Ohio. 
The Ohio League was essentially the direct ancestor of the NFL when it turned into the American Professional Association in 1920 with none other than Jim Thorpe, All-American, as its president. Akron dominated their competitors, um, but they badly lost to the Canton Professionals, but not as badly as Canton themselves lost. During that game and that loss, their captain, Harry Turner, had his spinal cord severed in a tackle and died off the field at the age of 27 due to the injury. Jeez. Uh, Knut reunited with Gus DeRay from 1915 to 1917 when they both played for the Massillon Tigers, another Ohio League team. And in 1917, he was finally offered, or well, in 1917, he was offered the head coaching position at Michigan State, which he turned down. Hmm. Though he had long been a leader and player coach on the field, Knut's first shot as head coach came when Jess Harper, his predecessor and former coach, stepped down, making Knut the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish as well as its athletic director. Hmm. And he also taught some chemistry. (laughs) He was a teacher Hmm. too, a professor too. He coached the Irish through six games that season. So this is 1918. It was a short season with a record of 3-1-2. and two. It was short because it was 1918, and this is the middle of World War One, and also the flu pandemic. Oh, jeez, so, yeah, of course. Yeah. On his inaugural team was one George Gipp, a okay, 23-year-old yeah. Uber. Uh, so it must not have uh, been all that unusual for, like, 23, you're typically done with college if you're of average age um sure back then for sure no at at any point but Knut started college at 22 and he recruited Gip to play Mm. for the Irish so I guess it was more common to be a little bit older but at any rate Knut was the one who recruited Gip even though Gip had never played organized ball before um Gip was apparently also typical quarterback a bit of a partier And wasn't really one who was much for showing up for class. (laughs) Uh, It didn't hurt him on the field as he would go on to lead his team in rushing and passing yards in 1918, 1919, and 1920. And set the record of 2,341 career rushing yards that wouldn't be broken until 1978 by Jerome Heavens. Wow, I would not have gotten that name if you'd asked me. Yeah, I know, Jerome right? Evans. He does not have a Wikipedia article. He also threw for a career 1,789 yards. Not bad. And uh, Gip remains Notre Dame's leader in average yards per rush for a season at 8.1, career average yards per play of total offense, 9.37, and career average yards per game of total offense, 128.4. Wow. Okay. Gip died of pneumonia on December 14th, 1920. What with it being about 20 years before the first administration of penicillin. Mm, so unfortunately, yeah. he, he Just was young. Yeah. He, he was like 26 or whatever, but it was just bad timing. So um, a lot more things were a lot more likely to kill people back then, of course. And, of course, Gip would be a big part of Knut Rockne's lore, which we will get to. Of course. Knut continued to build the Fighting Irish to be an offensive juggernaut thanks to 
the forward pass. They went undefeated in 1920, uh, 10 to 1 in 1921, and later undefeated again in 1924 when they became national champions thanks to the so-called Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse offense of QB Harry Stuldrayer and his receivers Don Miller, Jim Crowley, and Elmer Layden. Okay. Uh, and I've got a few pictures. And this, I think Knut Rockney was born looking like he was 60 years old. That's Knut Rockney. Oh, my God. Keep in At mind, what age? Keep in mind that the oldest he could be here in this picture be due to the age of his death is 43. My God, he looks way older than that. Doesn't he? He looks like uh, he looks Fred like, Mertz or something. He looks like he was born like that. Yes. <laughs> he really does. Yes. Here's another picture. People it's kind of comical. People just looked different back then. I mean, they really. Did. This is him with one of his sons. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, kid. Uh, here's George Gipp. <laughs> hey, kid, can you guess how old I am? <laughs> and that's George Gipp in the old-timey football pants. Yep. And everything. But well, the the pants still, I mean, that still kind of exists to a not degree. Not with the just, leather. And just the, not, yeah. not as big. Yeah. And, yeah, you wear... Uh, Rib pads instead of hip pads now, but anyway. But yeah, he looks like he's 60, and yeah. at best he's 43, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, 1925 wasn't exactly a slouch season, a slouch season, but after two losses, Knut decided to take a coaching job at Columbia for a salary of $25,000, which is around $435,000 today. That's pretty good money back then. Back, but it's nowhere near the millions that no. these coaches are making now. Uh, but he had been earning 15000 or about 260000 now at Notre Dame. But in the end, he decided to stick it out at Notre Dame. So he did not leave. I was going to say, yeah, I don't, yeah, okay. Yeah, he went back and decided to stay. In the next two seasons, the Irish only had two total losses, but that ballooned to four in 1928, which was Knut's worst season as a coach, although it would result in probably his most memorable and mythologized moment in his coaching career. So in a game with Army, the Irish were tied 0-0 at the half, and Knut was known for his rousing Locker room speeches. Mm. And I like to play a little bit of that because there's there's video and you can find it on YouTube of, oh, come on, YouTube, why did you reset? Is that the video? Yeah, I'm going to show the, because uh, you know how I joke about, we're going to keep them on the run? That's literally what he says as soon as ads stop playing because that's what everybody knew would happen in 19... 28 that we would eventually have to go <laughs> through YouTube. On our, on our special computer phones. Yes. Keep them on the run. And we're not going to pass unless our secondary comes up too close. 
His voice is great. It is. Run, Gabriel, on the run. I mean, Gabriel, on the run. It sounds like a transatlantic accent. <laughs> it but, does. But they weren't necessarily doing that on purpose quite yet. No, I, he, I he has a very Midwest. Actually, his he's got that that sort of flat, flat. Yeah. We're gonna keep him on the run. We're gonna get him on the run. We're gonna keep him on the run. We're gonna go like, inside. We're gonna go outside. I like you could kind of see the looks on two of the players' faces, and they are, they are like, because we're at halftime. So you can tell they're like half tired and half confused. Like, what is, what is he saying? What are you saying? I heard secondary. Yeah. I heard about crouching. Goal lines. Yeah. I think you explained like all the rules in like in that 50 seconds and I, what are we doing? But he was literally known for these speeches. Like that was his thing. Now this was not the speech. This the but that's just an example of his, one of his speeches. But this speech in 1928 would be the one he would go down in history for. Uh, so Knut didn't mind bending or exaggerating for the sake of a good story. And whether he was straight up quoting or not. He sure picked a good one to motivate the Irish that second half. He told them that when George Gipp was on his deathbed eight years earlier, he turned to Canute and said, quote, I've got to go, Rock. It's all right. I'm not afraid. Sometime, Rock, when the team is up against it, when things are going wrong and the brakes are beating the boys, tell them to go in there with all they've got and win just one for the Gipper. I don't know where I'll be then, Rock, but I, I'll know about it, and I'll be happy. There's no way but that that happened. I, I think it's almost <laughs> definitely complete fiction. Yeah, but it's fine. Yeah. What's not fiction is that he said it to the, the team. That's been Correct. corroborated. Yeah. But whether Gip said that on his deathbed is another story, That seems a right? little profound for somebody that's... <laughs> 26? Is that how yeah, old he was? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Although I guess 26 back then you were 52. Right. Like you just double your age 100 years ago. And famously the team went back on the field and won the and game. They won one for, the, for the Gipper. They won one for the Gipper. Yeah. So the origins of win one for the Gipper goes back to Knute Rockney. Okay. And George Gipp. So the Fighting Irish went undefeated and won the national championship in both 1929 and 1930, though Knut was semi-absent during the 29 season due to phlebitis, which is no. a vein inflammation yeah, in his leg. Sounds like a disease you have in 1930. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> phlebitis. In the years since Knut had started coaching, college football had grown exponentially oh by then sure yes Absolutely. so in 1921 notre dame's cartier field held 3,000 spectators by his final season in 1930 that had grown to 54,000. that's nuts mm -hmm. so basically it's kind of hard to understate how knut rockney essentially created football like by that i mean his use of the forward pass so extensively in the Notre Dame program not only built Notre Dame into being like one of the juggernauts of the 20th century in college football, but really helped build college football as a sport, which sure. is where it built the most before it turned pro. Mm -hmm. And is still a huge Oh, it's sport. still, I mean, it's, 
It's almost as big as the NFL. I mean, the NFL has overtaken it, I think, in terms of, like, total yes. like, uh-huh. revenue and viewership mm-hmm. and things like that. But, I mean, there are still plenty of people, especially down here, that I know that huge college football fans, eh, they're like NFL. They're like, eh, like right. I kind of watch it. About the NFL, I am the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pay attention to a couple college teams, mm-hmm. and that's kind of it. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm all about the NFL. Yeah. But but basically, there was a chance the game could have kind of literally just died out. Sure. Um, because it was so dangerous. But the and it wasn't just Knut Rockney, but but his sort of like era of people, and he was right in the thick of it. Popularized the forward pass, yeah. which then continually had rules that were now more and more in its favor. Basically protecting players mm-hmm. eventually, making it less deadly, making it a more interesting game. So not it was not at all the death knell of the sport that Walter Camp was worried about. It was what kept football going. So in his personal life, Knut and Bonnie had gone on to have four children, Knut Lars Jr., William Bill DeRay, which is very cute because he named one of his kids, middle name after his buddy Gus, Mary Jean and John Vincent. Unfortunately for his family, his players, Notre Dame, and all of college football, the 1930 season would be Rock's last. Mm. So with the rise of college football came an interest by the motion picture industry. Uh, now several years into talkies, right? Because sure. we're talking 1930 or 1931. So in early 1931, Knut was courted to participate in the film The Spirit of Notre Dame, which would eventually star many of Rockney's actual players, uh, including all four horsemen. There you go. It being the off-season, Knut's professional career calendar was filled with other obligations, including consulting with the producers of the film. So in late March, he was set for a trip out to Los Angeles, not just to meet with the producers, but to make a publicity appearance with his buddy, Will Rogers, who was a marquee entertainer at Mm -hmm. the time, uh, to represent Wilson Sporting Goods, a Chicago company, at a new store opening in L.A. Where you can get a football, kids. (laughs) And then you can run, run, run. Beat him around the store. You go inside. You go, you go outside. outside. You go inside and outside. Hand that cash to me. <laughs> Run. And to meet with Studebaker dealers. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, think of all the innovations that are happening in yes, this time. Yes, it's a... Yep. Telephone. Uh-huh. Radio. I mean... And commercial aviation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, commercial. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> On March 30th, 1931... Knut visited his mother back in Logan Square to celebrate her birthday. And he then took an overnight train to Kansas City. He spent a little bit of time in the morning with his two oldest sons, Knut Jr. and Bill, who were attending boarding school there before boarding a flight that morning. The flight was a transcontinental and western air Fokker F-10. Now, transcontinental and western air would later rebrand as Transworld Airlines. So this is GWA. Now, much like the history of football, it's important to know where we are in the history of aviation at this point. So this is 1931. We're almost three decades out from the Wright brothers, right? So so flight has been around. 
Um, and World War One alone really advanced aviation technology, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. But commercial flight is kind of another story. It's still like, it's just like, yeah. Yeah, this it's like, is... It's like you, you catch like a ride with, with the guy dropping <laughs> off the mail. Yes. Which is, which is well, what they were doing. Well, it's funny you say that. That is yes. what they were doing. Yeah. So this is just five years after the Air Commerce Act of 1926, which is the very first piece of legislation that even began regulating the aircraft industry or the yeah, aviation I mean, industry. I remember, I mean, it's a movie, but back then, like, it was probably realistic for um the greatest years of our lives is that the name of it What's oh the, um no the best years of the our best lives. years of our lives mm-hmm. but when he's done with his duty in the war mm-hmm. like it's just a bunch of guys waiting around at the airport yep. like to see who they can well to see what with. what plane is coming in do they have room and you just yeah. hang out there until you get a ride with somebody and that's like 14 <laughs> years after yes this. yes so, so there's yeah. yeah imagine how chaotic it was just getting on a plane mm-hmm. at this time at this point, this is just a few years after Charles Lindbergh like made his first transatlantic flight. Um, also, big asshole of history, Charles Lindbergh. Um, he, he loved fascists. He was a he fascist. He was a fascist, yeah. Um, so this is very new tech this time. And uh, the Fokker F-10 is exactly what you would picture it to be. Um, it's like a bubble with wings. Oh, no, Okay. Yeah, uh, I had something else in mind, but yeah, that yeah. works. Uh, we're way behind airliners. This is not an airliner. No. <laughs> but this is a, a passenger airliner <laughs> of the time. Uh, it's a tiny plane, though, by today's standards, with a <laughs> capacity made, of 12. Probably pas- made of wood. <laughs> <laughs> a capacity of 12 passengers, and you are not joking, it is made of wood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Uh-huh. So on this flight, which was TWA either flight 5 or 599, sources differ. (laughs) Whatever it said in the books. There were only six passengers and two crew. And the six passengers included Knut. The first leg of the flight was not just to LA. It was to Wichita, Kansas for exactly what you said, a mail stop. Yeah, I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. yeah. So while in the air, the crew called the Wichita control station now this is not air traffic control because <laughs> no. it is today it's like the and he's literally field. and he's literally having to build like a like some sort of a microphone system oh. to get down. No, <laughs> it's a tin can yes. and a string yeah, he's, he's exactly. like throwing it down to him right? he's like you ready to catch it <laughs> oh damn it the string snapped again <laughs> and the crew said quote the weather here is getting tough we're going to turn around and go back to kansas city yeah. end quote Maybe you should do the same. <laughs> well, Wichita told them to just keep going ah. with the flight. The pilot... Can you imagine what turbulence was like in 1930? Well, that is Fuck. basically what they think was involved yeah. here. Yeah. Um, the pilot later radioed that, quote, it looks pretty bad, end quote. The crew had trouble navigating. They were traveling at a height of 300 feet. Yeah, that makes it's sense. It's incredibly low to sure. the ground. Yeah, that makes sense. For a wooden plane, um, sure. And they lost their ability to navigate due to the due to like clouds and turbulence. They Just def- follow the interstate, dude. Oh, that's right. They haven't built that yet. But okay. you're again, you're very close. They followed the railroad tracks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. You're uh-huh. only 300 feet in the air, so you can yeah. see them. Uh-huh. <laughs> and <laughs> the exact sequence of events is not fully known. There's no such thing as a black box. 
No. Cockpit voice recorder, no. data recorder. Nothing there's like there's that. no such thing as a pilot. No, really. <laughs> yeah, this is all very loose. These are just crazy people that they're like, okay, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's thought that the pilots lost control of the plane and began nosediving. Ooh. An engine. Well, if it's only 300 feet, that's just a fall. It's, that's, that's uh, it's enough. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's. An, a witnesses nearby heard an engine backfire. A plane engine yeah, backfire. Like a... <coughs> uh-huh. Before the plane crashed into a field in Bazaar Township, Kansas, instantly killing all eight yeah, people on board. Uh... Mm-hmm. The crash was witnessed by people nearby, including 13-year-old James Easter Heathman. He, his father, and his brothers were the first on site. They drove there in their Model T. Sure. And saw the plane's tail sticking out of the ground. Oh. They also found the bodies of the passengers and oh, crew and stayed at the site until the coroner came. Heathman would later say that the experience, quite understandably, was especially traumatic for his father. Yeah. The crash was big news. Sure. So we take it for granted now. This is essentially... The first time in American history that someone famous died in a plane crash. Good point. Isn't that yeah. wild? Like, I mean, someone even, was the first. If it happened today, it would still make news. Kobe Bryant died in a That's helicopter true, crash. That's true, but it was a helicopter. It was, it's but a little still, different, but still, yeah. Aaliyah died in a That's plane true, crash. That's true, yeah. She would probably be the most famous. Half of Leonard Skinner died in a yeah. plane crash. It's not... It's not uncommon, of. I guess. Um, the stu- Payne Stewart Payne, yes. uh, died yep. in a plane crash. It's There's a long lineage of famous people because famous people travel a lot. They fly a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dying in plane crashes. This was the first one. That's, yeah, which is wild to think is. about, you know. <laughs> Another innovation. Celebrities dying <laughs> on planes. Right? And this is Knute Rockney. All-American, yeah. Notre Dame football coach, fully popularizing the sport. Literally one in of his the, heyday. even today thought of as like one of the fathers of the game. Yes. 13 seasons as head coach of Notre Dame, only 43 years old. He would have had years left as the coach, you know. Um, With and at least four national championships in that run, yeah, too. Yeah, uh-huh. And, and died in a plane crash. It was huge news. Sure. Um, the scene of the crash was not immediately secured and sure. ended up being picked over thoroughly by dozens of souvenir seekers and looky-loos. Here's a picture of just, oh, a bunch of people at the crash site saying, hey, can you take a picture of me with oh the wing God. of the plane? <laughs> what the fuck? I know. That's, uh, that's I mean, it crazy. was big news in Kansas, yeah. too. This is well, just like they had it, Kansas. They had it on their handy radios. Oh, Newt <laughs> Rockley's pain has went down. Right? Let's all sit. Let's, let's find the wing and bring it home, fellas. Yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, word would have gotten out at, at this time like a little bit quicker because even people had like Morse code, like they had telegraphs. telegraphs. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, and it was in newspapers, of course. <laughs> that's, how, and... that's how they get the word out in. Gypsy, Kansas, where are we? Bizarre Township. Bizarre Township, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Same thing. This is also 1930. This is like just about a year into the Depression. Sure. The Great Depression. Sure. Before it's really being felt, but yeah. Yes. And this was like famous person dies in plane crash. People were like, the fuck is going on with yeah. planes like, here? Yeah. 
Because, like early football, a lot of people died in early aviation. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Even in automobiles, a lot of people died yes, early on uh-huh. with automobiles, too, because, but yeah. But still, yes. Any new, any new travel innovation, mm-hmm. just like driverless cars today, there's already been, right. what, two or three reported deaths? Mm-hmm. Now, that's way better than 31. Right. But still, yeah, any new innovation mm-hmm. like like this, especially involving travel, some people are going to... Especially in the early days of regulation. Yep. And that's where we are or non-regulation. Here. Yes. Well, there was that 1926 Act, so there was some version of regulation. It is not anywhere near what it is today. And the accident was investigated by the U.S. Aeronautics Branch, which was the eventual precursor to the Federal Aviation Administration. So the Fokker, Fokker, I literally (laughs) said the Fokker, the Fokker F-10 was, terrifyingly, as I mentioned, made of wood. Now, we may get squeamish now about being sealed up in a steel tube to fly through the air, but better to get sealed up in a steel tube than fly in a rickety old wooden plane. That's why they're only 300 (laughs) feet above the ground. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And that is exactly the problem for this flight. Without exaggeration, the plane fell apart in midair. I mean, that's, yeah. That's... More specifically, the one of the wings was, in addition to being made of wood or wood laminate specifically, mm-hmm. was glued on. <laughs> For fuck's sake. This was like, not know, unusual. I'm, this I is know. how it was constructed. Because people were fucking nuts back then. Basically, I right? mean, seriously. Uh-huh. Like this is like the... they're all they're all looking at this thing like this is so cool we'll be three hundred feet in the air which before then like you know right you didn't have that opportunity like you have today mm-hmm. now we go thirty thousand feet in the air thankfully right in a metal tube yes but at this point it's just like man if you can go in a plane that must be an experience in itself and you right. tell all your friends about it like man we were like. <laughs> we glued on the wing right before we went mm-hmm. and everything went fine yep. So please may we never go back to hurling through the air in anything dependent <laughs> on glue. God. No. So basically, it wasn't even super glue. They just <laughs> no. said they just said glue. It was the same glue. It was made of horse hooves. Yeah, so. it was the same glue that uh, what's his name used to put the, put back together the leg lamp, and that that didn't work oh. out either. <laughs> in uh, <laughs> Christmas, Christmas story. Yeah, Christmas story. Um, still never seen it. But so basically, the wood of the wing. Got wet over time because that's what happens to wood. This moisture weakened the glue and the wing came off mid-flight causing the nose to die. Yes. Like, like, can you? No, you can't. No. No, you can't. No. Because you don't know anybody. Nobody on earth at this moment knows anybody that's that's flown in a wooden plane. No. For fuck's sake. Oh my God. But imagine like the sound that it's making before that. Oh, yeah, God, I doubt yeah. it just ripped right off, you know? Yeah. Like, it was probably like, do you guys hear that? And then, whoosh, and then, mm-hmm. oh my, the, no. Mm-hmm. Why are, man, uh, here's the other thing I'm thinking. Uh-huh. Like, there must have been just so little to do in 1930 that you're like, yeah, I'll get in the death trap in the air. Like, fucking, <laughs> like, what's the worst that could happen? I'll get a good, yeah, like, it's... I mean, what could you do for, like, entertainment in 1930, like, <laughs> Read a well, book? For for Rockney, it was probably more like I have to get to LA and a train to LA is a long proposition from Midwest. That's true because you that's know. what that's what the airline would have been going against like early on. Like there were Trains. plenty there are mm-hmm. plenty of train routes to 
yeah. from where he is to L.A. Mm-hmm. But, but a, time. But a plane, he's like, I can get there like two hours quicker. Right. <laughs> Yeah, going only 300, <laughs> 300 uh, feet, feet above. In the air. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to dodge some treetops, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get there. You know, I'm taking the train. You're right. Even today, like if you're giving yes, me those options. Yes. Uh huh. If the time is like within two hours, I'll be, yeah, I'll take the train yes. instead. Of course, it's important to note that, and this happens in like every time, a, which happens many times, a celebrity dies in a plane crash. There are other people who died too, That's, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the pilot was Robert Fry and the co-pilot was Herman Mathias. The other five passengers were H.J. Kristen, John Happer, Waldo Miller, Spencer Goldthwaite, and C.A. Robrick. Um, but it really is the attention caused by Knut's death that literally, and, and this is without exaggeration, revolutionized aviation safety in the United Good. States. Well, mm-hmm. Look at that. He revolutionized two things. Yes. Football <laughs> and, and aviation safety. Absolutely. And that's not an exaggeration. Two things that are still around and heavily dependent on today. That's right. That's right. Um, Knut's celebrity is what highlighted to the American public the danger of flying in an era of basically very little regulation like the first lesson they were taught like don't glue on the wing yeah (laughs) well we'll get 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 some get some screws at least and a screwdriver basically yeah so when you talk about the legacy of knut rockney he is basically who we have to thank for the creation of a much safer environment for commercial flight so fucker trimotors the manufacturer of the f10 was temporarily grounded and the crash came very close to destroying both Fokker and TWA. Yeah. Up until this crash, the Department of Commerce kept air crash investigations secrets. The public outcry and demand for answers caused a complete about-face, forcing the government's hand in making the results of investigations public publicly available and making it public information, which led to leaps and bounds in improvements of flight safety through regulation and industry standards. It's funny how when people are shown transparently what when something is going wrong yeah. with an industry and at what cost that the industry starts cleaning up its act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The crash also highlighted the complete unsustainability of using wood. For aircraft, manufacturers completely redesigned the entire concept of the airplane into an all-metal vehicle. It greatly informed the first modern passenger airliner, the Boeing 247, which debuted in 1933 and was soon supplanted by the Douglas DC-2 and DC-3. Basically, this crash was the impetus to create the modern family of commercial passenger airplanes we still that's ride ins- on today. I, that's crazy. Isn't that wild? It is. These changes in design in, in aircraft and increased transparency to the industry quickly reduced the number of accidents, ushering in the modern era, era of much safer commercial air flight. So wow. thank you, Knut Rockney yes. and the other passengers I'm, for... I'm truly sorry for the circumstances. Absolutely. Uh, if you had been an ambassador for safer planes, I would have taken that instead. Right. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, wow. 
The legacy of Knut Rockne at the University of Notre Dame is really impossible to overstate. Uh, yeah. He is largely responsible for building fight, the Fighting Irish into one of the most storied powerhouses of the 20th century and, more broadly, for popularizing the sport of football in its infancy. After his death, Will Rogers eulogized Knut by saying, quote, We thought it would take a president or a great public man's death to make a whole nation regardless of age, race, or creed, shake their heads in real sincere sorrow. Well, that's what this country did today, Knut, for you. You died a national hero. Hmm. And, uh, like, it it literally was, apparently reports are that, like, it was as if a president had been assassinated. It wow. was that big of news. Okay. Knut's legend only became more storied with the release of the 1940 film Knut Rockne, All-American. Sure. In which he was portrayed by actor Pat O'Brien. More memorably, future president and total fuckwit Ronald Reagan portrayed George Gipp, delivering the famous line mm-hmm. of win one for the Gipper, which decades later would become one of Reagan's campaign slogans, along with the notorious Make America Great Again. They love Hollywood, Republicans do. They do. They just don't want to admit it. <laughs> A granite memorial engraved with the names of those who died and titled Rockney Memorial at the top was placed at the crash site. And this is it. Okay. The memorial was maintained for years by John Heathman, the witness of the one of the witnesses of the crash. After witnessing the disaster, he became a lifelong dedicated Notre Dame fan okay. and historian of Knut. Most often uh oops, hold on. And, oh, sorry, and historian of Knut Rockne. He would frequently lead tours of the site and the memorial in honor of Knut, most often to very dedicated Notre Dame fans who made the pilgrimage. A memorial service has been held every five years since the crash at the site. Okay. And that was the story of the death of Knut Rockne. I knew none of that. I just knew knew he died in a plane crash. That's all Mm -hmm. I knew. But, I mean, it, it's it's pretty amazing. And, I mean, at this point, we're almost 100 years out of the mm-hmm. crash. We're 93 years. Yep. Jeez. Wow. Let alone his heyday was 100 years ago. It was. Right? That he was... That's when he was in his prime. That's when he only looked like he was 67. <laughs> when he was 32. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, like, really, honestly, if you look at, at it... In, he's one of the greatest figures in sports history, American sports history. Yeah, absolutely. He really is. Yeah. He was involved as Especially a player. Especially for his sport. Yes, he was involved as a player and a coach at like such a pivotal moment and popularized what would keep the sport going. Sure. And, and protect players. I mean, it's still a very dangerous sport, but people are not dying of severed spinal cords. <laughs> not the past typically. couple of years, anyway. <laughs> um... As a result, but then on top of it, that he, his death essentially revolutionized aviation. aviation. Changed commercial aviation. Yes. To a point that, like, essentially the public was, outcry was so strong that it changed the entire industry and made it possible to be what it is today. Imagine the public not wanting to die in a plane crash. How dare they? Yeah. I mean, but that's like what a CEO is like weighing. He's like, Mm -hmm. well, it's like some family members will be upset. We'll cut them a check for $5. Mm -hmm. They'll be fine. 
So um, it really kind of gives a, a different meaning yeah. to the, the idea of Newt Rockne All American. It, it kind of does. Him a, like it, a major American icon. Yeah, which I guess I didn't realize he was. Mm-hmm. I just knew him as a Notre Dame right. guy and as like an early like a uh, pioneer of football. Uh-huh. I didn't know him as that mm-hmm. as well. But like how deep he went into the American. Um, Social conscious, right? Uh huh. The, yeah. the psyche of America, whatever pop culture. It's not um, many people who revolutionize an entire transportation industry. No, or a sport. Yes, or that's do both. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, but now, but nowadays, like, like celebrity is so fragmented. We could be celebrities in our given field. Could be. We're uh-huh. not. Uh huh. There are movie stars. There are TV stars. Right. There are mm-hmm. video games. There are people who comment and play video games for a living who are stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is back to the era, which kind of ended when this century came into being. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody knew who this guy was. Yeah. Well, and it's and, interesting of what celebrity would have been back yeah. then too. The fact still that, fairly new. Well, the fact that a football coach. Mm-hmm. Was known nationally. Yes. But also... This, like, this was also at the time of Babe Ruth, too. Yep. So uh-huh. celebrity is becoming Sports a thing. Sports figures were mm-hmm. a big thing because, yeah. like, even there were motion picture stars, mm-hmm. but people barely knew what their voices sounded like no. at this point. Like, um, entertainment celebrities are actually kind of few... This is vaudeville time, mm-hmm. you know, or the, kind of the end of vaudeville. Well, every city has, but, like, its own version of... Um, local entertainment right mm-hmm. have like a huge playhouse mm-hmm. every city's got one in 1930 because mm-hmm. that was part of what and imagine that for your entertainment you can read a book or go to a play like, <laughs> fuck that no wonder people wanted to go up in wooden planes They're like there's nothing else to do so all i can say is it's a damn shame that he is associated in any way shape or form with the memory of one of the worst americans to ever walk the face <laughs> yeah. of the earth which thankfully not ronald directly reagan. it'd be worse if ronald reagan played him yes uh-huh, that's true <laughs> that's true so it just um i forget what which did i say did i mention that in an episode before i think i said that ronald reagan played newt rockney I guess I meant. Oh, I guess I meant he, he was played, in the film. He played yeah. George, which is why he George became Gip. to be known as the Gipper. Yeah. And it's like, why are you? I called kind of the forgot Gipper? about that whole thing too. And it's like he's not the Gipper. George Gipp was the Gipper and had nothing to do and with Ronald Reagan. All this making me think of is the movie uh, Airplane, not Airport. Uh-huh. Airplane. It just made me realize the link. Like he had a friend. Like the character in the movie, his name was George Zip. Oh, <laughs> did they call him the Zipper? I think they did, but I never <laughs> caught. I never caught on to the. I haven't seen airplanes since I was like a teenager. I don't uh-huh. think I never caught on to the what they were spoofing. But now I understand it. Well, and I think the whole thing is a little spoofable because it is so easily identified as likely apocryphal. Yeah, that George Kipp ever said anything. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like uh, you know George Washington never told a lie. Right. It's kind of in that in that realm a little bit. But I fully believe that Knut Rockney. Fully used it to his advantage. Sure. Like, and if if that man who is 40 but who looks like he's 75 is, like, talking in that voice to you, yeah. you got to keep him on the run and say, win one for the Gipper. And like, you know what? That arousing speech, everybody. That speech was probably, there was probably maybe a photograph. You know, we're still right. talking newspapers mm-hmm. in 1930 mm-hmm. or when he made that speech in 1929. There's maybe a photo. 20. But probably not. Uh-huh. It's pro- it's probably just like the quote in the newspaper, and people right. are like, 
this is like fucking poetry. Or did you read this shit? Like one of the players told somebody else and whatever. It definitely got in the paper. That's how it got in the American vernacular. Yeah, consciousness. Well, it got popularized in the movie. Sure. That was where it was. That's what set it in stone Mm -hmm. was that right there. It was like um, like when I did the research on Woodstock. Yes, Woodstock, when it happened, mm-hmm. was like a pretty, like people knew that it happened. Mm-hmm. But a year later when the movie came out and everybody kind of got to experience it mm-hmm. through the movie is what made it become like... A the, cultural phenomenon. Exactly. It, made, yep. it gave it like the legend that it right. didn't have without the film. Right. Which is probably what Newt Rock and the All-American... Mm-hmm. People already obviously already knew who he was. Ten years later, mm-hmm. people were like, hey, there's that Newt Rockney film coming out. And this is when everybody's going to the movie theater. Right. Because there's two a year made yes. or whatever. And, well, uh, and not just that, but The Spirit of Notre Dame came out later that year that yeah. he died. So, the, yeah, you got your back-to-backs there right there. There were two, two movies <laughs> yeah. that he was and his team were featured yeah. in. Yeah. And people have been like, oh, yeah, like probably hadn't really forgot about him all that much. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, there's the reminder and like, and, ju- and it just cemented. The legacy for, I mean, people still know who he is. Yeah. And then Ronald Reagan co-opted <laughs> him. and He's responsible for Ronald Reagan, but we'll give him a pass. <laughs> no, no, he is not. not. He, is not. An, he didn't I would even not meet put the, Reagan. I would not put that on Newt Rockney. No. Can Newt Rockney. No. But, yeah. But, it's... I mean, I could, I, I mean, as far as, like, the history of football, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I could talk about that all day. Yeah. Um, I've never been a huge Notre Dame fan. They haven't really been this kind of relevant in a while. Yeah. I mean, they, they're still relevant. In the 20th century, they were big. They yes. were dominant. They're, especially they're the in best this team. era, they yes. were highly dominant. In the 21st century, people yeah. just know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> they don't win championships anymore. Although I feel very much <laughs> like students and alumni still have the attitude that we're fucking Notre Dame. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course they do. Yeah. It's like Yankees fans. Yeah. Because I am one. It's like... Well, we've still won 28. Right. Even though we haven't won one in 14 years now. Uh-huh. Whatever. What it, you know, you got to lie to yourself sometimes when mm-hmm. you're a sports fan. Well, and Or if you're a Bills fan, like, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's especially funny that the fighting Irish were put on the map by a Nor- Norwegian man. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. He, he technically was, yes. Uh-huh. Born in Norway. Yeah. But, yeah, so that was a fantastic story. I knew none of it. And I, I hope our listeners found that. I hope yes. there are, let's face it, there are some listeners that are going to be like, Canute, Root, Newt, Rockney, <laughs> who, what? Yeah. But anybody who knows about college football or even like somewhat follows it, mm-hmm. will know who this is. Yeah. I would think. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was the death of Canute Rockney. Mm-hmm. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.